Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review Podcast. This is Jason Elkubi, President and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Our guest today is Phil Deneary, a lecturer in urban and regional planning at the University of Michigan, where he teaches courses on the built environment. We'll be discussing one of his major projects today, the Appalachian Trail, a biography published in 2021 by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Phil, great to have you on today. How are things going? Uh, They're going fine. Thanks very much for having me. I'm super excited to dive into you with one of my favorite subjects. In addition to being an economic developer, I'm also an avid outdoorsman. I love to hike. I love to be outside. So I'm excited about this conversation. You've kind of described yourself as sort of a day hiker only. How much of the Appalachian Trail would you say you've hiked in the course of researching your book? And how did you sort of combine the research project with the experience of the trail itself? I've hiked on the trail in short sections in each of the 14 states that it passes through. So I've seen a lot of the trail in its various guises, the different locations that it's in, the different, you know, sort of forms that the trail itself takes. Sometimes it's a sidewalk down a main street. Sometimes it's a gorgeous mountain vista For a lot of the time of the Appalachian Trail, it's just a trail through the woods that seems like, you know, any other trail. So I've hiked on the trail enough to, you know, sort of sample a lot of its different characters, but I'm not and I sort of never pretended to be an avid long-distance hiker. I've seen a lot of the trail and gotten a feel for it, but there's, you know, just thousands and thousands of people who have through-hiked the entire 2,100 miles, sometimes in one trip, sometimes in several trips over the course of a lifetime. Sometimes they've dedicated themselves to just one portion of it. And one of the things I try to make clear in the book is that as awesome as that is, And as much as I might have hoped to do that once when, you know, my (laughs) knees were in better shape, that's not the perspective that I'm taking in the book where I'm really looking at the history of it and the ideas behind the trail. Why the Appalachian Trail? What makes it special and what inspired you to make this a major focus? It's always been this iconic place. You just know it's out there when you leave. You know, it's not uncommon to be driving down an interstate highway, and there's a pedestrian bridge going over the freeway, and it says Appalachian Trail on it. In my urban planning studies, I came across the fact that the trail was actually conceived of by somebody who was thinking about cities and nature all at the same time and thought of the trail in part as providing a natural counterpoint to the cities. So both as a space that I knew of that was out there and found interesting, and I do enjoy hiking, and so I had some interest in it from that perspective, but then also that it has this particular history, all of that attracted me to it. A shorter answer to that question is, I was interested enough in the trail that I wanted to read this book, and it really wasn't out there. And I thought, well, maybe I could take a crack at it, and I did. There really wasn't a history of the trail for a general audience. And I thought there ought to be one. What you've just said about the trail really resonates with me. As somebody who chose to live in Virginia and moved here with my family several years ago, the Appalachian Trail you know, really stood out as one of just, just many amazing assets that are in this, this beautiful state and one that I've certainly enjoyed exploring. How do you go about writing a biography of a trail. You made a decision to focus on some of the major figures in the trail's history. Can you talk about sort of the approach and how did your particular approach affect the final product? There was no AT before Benton Mackay, 
came up with the idea and before a whole bunch of people organized around that idea and built the thing. So it's a human construction. And I thought that a good way to tell the story of the trail as something that people created for themselves was to tell it from the perspective of who those folks were at different points in time. What were they after? What did they see in a big long distance trail over the mountains? What of their hopes and dreams and aspirations was it satisfying? How did those hopes and dreams and aspirations change over the years from even before when the trail itself was proposed all the way up to the present day? I'm not going to write a guidebook to the trail. There's plenty of good ones out there. I'm not going to write about my experience on the trail. There's plenty of good books out there in that vein as well. But what I was trying to get at was why and how is this place the way it is? And how has that changed over the years? In the same way that you would write a biography of a person, what were the influences? What were the times that that person grew up in? So this idea of the Appalachian Trail, a biography, was you know, sort of twofold. Number one, I wanted to get at the character of the place. And number two, I wanted to do it with a bunch of individual biographies of here's who Ben Mackay was and how he came to it. Here's who Myron Avery was, the sort of field general that really got the thing built in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Here's who Bill Bryson was, this author who popularized the trail when he wrote a book about it in the 90s. So that was kind of the thinking behind that term, a biography, even though it's a biography of a physical thing, a trail, rather than any one person. Any big surprises, things you learned about the trail while doing your research? You know, a few things. The first is how much of the Appalachian Trail, when you're on it, is just a trail. If it didn't have this narrow painted white blaze on a tree every, (laughs) you know, 10 or 20 yards, you wouldn't know that you were on the world famous Appalachian Trail versus, you know, a trail through a park in your community or in some state park somewhere. Mm Although it does have incredible places that it gets to with incredible vistas, for a lot of its length, it's just a trail. That sort of mundane quality of it, I found really interesting. I don't think it takes anything away from the experience. I think that that adds to it. A trail can be about a sort of routine, different perspective on the world without having to be atop some gorgeous mountain with an incredible view of everything that's around it. The other thing that was really interesting was how many different types of people come to the trail and come to it with their own version of what it is and why they're doing it. So in one chapter of the book, I talk about both Earl Schaefer, the widely recognized as the first thru-hiker, and Emma Grandma Gatewood, the first solo woman thru-hiker. And they accomplished those tasks roughly 10 years apart from one another, but were entirely different people. Schaefer was a young person just out of the army trying to find himself. Gatewood was literally a grandmother who just wanted to go for a walk. I think that a lot of folks, including myself, sort of carry in our head with respect to the AT, the idea that, oh, it's it's this through hiking venue. It's there for the hardcore outdoors person who's going to hike the whole thing in one summer. In fact, that's a tiny, tiny percentage of the people mm-hmm. who use the AT. That's not at all what it was built for. And it serves a lot of different people's needs in different ways. 
so much of the sort of imagination around the Appalachian Trail is this idea of, you know, the AT is this long through hike. And yet, that's actually not how many people experience the trail or even what it was intended for. So where did that through hiker goal come from in our country's cultural imagination around the trail? One of the places it comes from is the one thing that makes the AT unique is its distance. The fact that it's nearly 2,100 miles. I was saying earlier how to be on it, it can feel kind of everyday and mundane. It can, but when you're on it, this notion that, wow, this trail doesn't like end at this one mountain peak or it doesn't loop back to the parking lot I started from. It goes and goes and goes for an almost infinite distance in terms of your sort of day-to-day experience of it. That's what makes the trail unique. So the fact that it's so big, not surprisingly, people started to think about, well, what if I just committed myself to the trail and doing the whole thing? And so it offers this opportunity for a separation from our day-to-day lives. While you can get that from a three-hour hike or a three-day hike, to commit to the trail and its environment for the months that it takes to walk the whole thing in one go, that's, a, I think, a particularly American kind of escapism. It's got this quality of, I'm going to prove something to myself and to others. I'm going to check out from the day-to-day of my job and my neighbors, and I'm going to go off and be in the woods. I'm going to connect with the natural world around me in this really intense way. I think that that taps into a lot of cultural trends and ideas that are out there. And it didn't take long Mm -hmm. after Earl Schaefer did this hike in the 40s for that idea to really catch on with a lot of people. Nowadays, in the era of social media and, you know, what kind of cool stuff do you have for your Instagram? It's just an incredibly popular source of online personality. I'm interested in how this book sort of connects with your other work as a person who's a university lecturer focused on the built environment. How does the planning of outdoor attractions like hiking trails intersect with the needs of other parts of the built environment like cities and towns? The person who thought up the idea for the AT, Benton Mackay, his idea was we've got cities that are defined by and dependent on the natural world around them. They need fuel sources. They need raw materials for their factories. This is in the 1920s, by the way. It's 1921 when he publishes his article. Mm -hmm. That's where the water power is coming from to power mills. He saw this very intimate connection between the physical landscape at a regional scale, and then the urban lives that were lived within that. Think about how the terrain of the state of Virginia runs from the Appalachians in the western part of the state through gradually flattening terrain until you get all the way out to the coastline. That sort of physical Mm -hmm. geological reality of Virginia in turn has defined where the cities are, what they do, what industries popped up within them. We've always had a real physical connection between our urban life and the natural world around us. One of the things the trails do is they provide the gateway from one to the other. When we think as urban planners, we're always thinking about the natural environment. We're thinking about where is drinking water coming from and how are we going to treat it and where are we going to provide it. And if such and such a a residential or commercial expansion happens out on the countryside, what impact does that have on the environment out there? We think about trails from the perspective of recreational planning. I love to point out to folks that the National Park Service 
has its own standalone urban planning office. And everyone thinks, well, how can that be? The parks are the opposite of the cities. Why would the national parks be doing urban planning? Well, what happens when you go to a national park? You got to park your car. You got to stay somewhere. Facilities have to be provided. (laughs) Different uses are allowed in different parts of the national park, just like we use zoning to carve out different land uses in different parts of the city. So this divide that we like to have between, oh, well, here's the urban and the built, and then over there is the natural and the environment, it's not so clear. They actually blend into and overlap with one another a fair bit. To me, it made perfect sense as somebody who's interested in urban planning and the built environment to go all the way to one extreme of that, the Appalachian Trail, and look at how it itself is built and what were people trying to do Mm -hmm. when they built it. And maybe that gives us a more accurate perspective on how the natural and the built connect to one another. That's really interesting. I'd like to probe on that a little bit. I mean, you know, what can an attraction or an amenity like the Appalachian Trail do for nearby cities and towns? Are there any towns or, or, you know, communities along the trail or near the trail, whether in Virginia or in other states, that really seem to be doing a good job of connecting to the trail, embracing it, capitalizing on its sort of value as a cultural and recreational asset? Probably the best example along the whole AT is in Damascus, Virginia, which describes itself as Trail Town USA, not only because the AT comes through there, but the Virginia Creeper Rail Trail and others. But Damascus is one of those places where, as a practicality of building the trail, it sort of comes down out of the mountain runs through town, uses a road bridge to get over the river, and then goes back up into the hills on the other side. And Damascus over the years has developed a whole sort of culture and identity with shops that serve hikers and hostels or campgrounds where hikers can camp or spend the night. An entire sort of economic identity for a town that otherwise would, like a lot of places that were built up as forest towns, they were built around the forest products industry, don't have that livelihood anymore and have this new one around recreation in general and the trail in particular. That phenomenon of smaller, more rural mountain towns and communities seeing an economic resource in the trail being nearby, that has happened up and down the trail to the point Mm -hmm. where now the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, it has a formal trail towns program where cities can qualify for and announce themselves as trail towns. That features in their own economic development efforts, and it makes for these valuable partnerships between the trail and its community of hikers and the towns that it runs through. Of course, we want, we want all, all of the listeners here to, uh, to go out and read the book, The Appalachian Trail, a biography. But I'm also interested in other things you ran across in the course of your research for folks who want to learn more. Are there other books, articles, films about the Appalachian Trail that you would recommend or about trails in general? There's actually a, a decent-sized list on the website for the book, which is atbiography.com. I would point folks towards a couple. On the history of the trail itself, Just last year, the ATC published From Dream to Reality by a man named, who unfortunately died just before the book's publication, a man named Tom Johnson. It is the full 
thick sort of authoritative history of the trail and of the folks who built it. Mine book is a slimmer look at sort of how and why we would have a trail, but this is a much bigger, more dense, deep dive on really everything you could hope to want to know about the trail and its development over the course of the years. At the other end of the spectrum, um, a book that's not exactly about the AT, but written by an AT thru-hiker, is a book called On Trails by Robert Moore. It is a really fascinating explanation of why do we care so much about trails? Why do we keep creating these paths and using them? He goes to a bunch of different places and examines a whole bunch of different kinds of trails. And it's a very interesting kind of philosophical reflection on why does this idea of a trail keep attracting us to it? One of the personal projects I've been working on is trying to hike every mile of trail in the Shenandoah National Park, which is here in Virginia. It's about 100 miles long, and there's actually about 500 miles of trail throughout the Shenandoah National Park. Any sort of insights you've learned along the way that might be helpful to me or that would help kind of enrich the experience of a person who just likes to get out and hike in and around the AT? One of the things that I found interesting was to try to understand as I hiked the human history of the place. When we can be on a trail and appreciate the nature, the trees, the animals, just the fact that we're moving under our own power with dirt under our feet and up and down the terrain, when we can see and appreciate that and we can see and appreciate the working farmers' fields and the small towns nearby or the valleys that we can see from these vantage points. Sometimes that gives a different character to the walk when we realize that it's got this human history that has made it at the same time as it has this sort of natural timelessness. So that might be something to kind of ponder as you shuffle down the path. One of the things that makes Virginia's relationship with the Appalachian Trail somewhat special is that Virginia has a larger portion of the trail running through it than any other state. Any thoughts on what's special about the Virginia section of the trail? Across that length, it takes in a lot of different landscapes, all of them mountainous and a lot of them with great viewpoints. But the mountainous terrain at one end of the AT in Virginia is different than that all the way up by West Virginia and Maryland. Another thing is that a large chunk of the AT in Virginia, what you're hiking on is massively relocated from the first version of the AT through Virginia. It had to be relocated because of the construction of the Blue Ridge Parkway. A big mm. part of the AT's history was the fight between the AT and the builders of parkways, especially Skyline Drive in Shenandoah and the Blue Ridge Parkway all the way down to Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And they really fought over the ridgeline. So the AT in Virginia was moved as much as 50 miles from its original location to get it away from the Blue Ridge Parkway. And that's definitely a key part of the trail's history that's especially visible there in Virginia. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for this great conversation and for joining us today. This has been terrific. It's been a joy to talk about it, and thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.